and welcome back to the CMO's Guide to Everything. Today we have with us Rachel James of Applaud Software. The CMO's Guide to Everything podcast is sponsored by Advertos, a digital marketing agency. Advertos helps B2B technology companies to target potential customers with laser accuracy and micro-targeted messaging. The firm leverages a mix of creativity, strategy, and digital technology to produce measurable results. To learn more, visit advertos.com. Rachel, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on today. Of course, of course. So let's get started. Tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Applaud. Yeah, for sure. So as you said, I'm Rachel. Um, I'm the CMO at Applaud. Uh, we are an employee experience platform. Super interesting space to be in right now when, you know, all kind of work is shifting and people are at home, they're at the beach, they're kind of in the office half the time, and we're still kind of going through that transition period. So yeah, I love it. I love it. It's a great industry to be in right now. And what do you find, do you have any major industry verticals that you're working in? Do you know what? So we are actually industry agnostic and it's the first um the first role I've had where we're really truly industry agnostic because I think a lot of the people problems that organizations share are so similar and we're, we're really able to help with that. But I mean, of course, um, when it comes to messaging, when it comes to personas and things, we do like to to tailor our, our messaging to make sure that we're really hitting the, the, the marks and the pain points for those people that we're trying to target. Okay, excellent. Well, the reason that you came up on my list of prospective guests for, for this podcast is because you guys won a pretty interesting award in the B2B Marketing Awards um, for best campaign with limited budget. So, you know, isn't that something we're all struggling with all the time? You know, very few of our clients and, and you know, departments that we work in have just blank checks for us to go create really beautiful things. Um, so, so this is something that everybody can relate to. You want to tell me a little bit about that campaign and, and what went into it, what that was about? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, um, I'm definitely a content marketer through and through. Uh, my first ever role, the CMO there, was introducing content marketing. So it's something I've just kept with me the whole time. Um, and when I, when I started at Applaud, it's very much a startup scale-up type business. So as you described, you know, a challenge that I think all marketers have is like, how do you do more with less? Um, and for me, I think the great thing about content marketing is if you get it right, you're offering something, you know, incredibly valuable to your buyer, but it but it definitely has to be that, that quality has to be there. You have to give them something that they're really going to take that time out of their day to kind of stop and read or engage with. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we are in a very strange period right now when it comes to the world of work. Um, there's a lot of transition going on and priority for HR leaders and HR directors has definitely been um, how do I deliver a really amazing digital employee experience for my people that maybe aren't going to come into the office anymore or maybe you know going to be at home a couple days a week um, and that's still something that I think a, a lot of businesses are trying to figure out and so what we wanted to offer um, as part of this campaign was an audit for people to be able to kind of self-serve um, and figure out kind of benchmark where they were um, you know, where they were in terms of their digital employee experience, how they were doing against their, their colleagues and, and peers. So um, we did a lot of the work ourselves. I have a really great team that are incredibly motivated, incredibly um, incredibly experienced and, and really just want to get stuck in. And as much as we would have loved to have worked with a really big agency and got them to kind of do all the mechanics and the technical part, we actually configured this entire audit um, ourselves internally. We, we wrote the questions, we did the research, we got the data, we did all of that internally 
created this amazing audit that um, people could, I said, self-serve. And at the end, they got a personalized report that said, okay, like this is how you're doing. You know, this is in this section, you're doing really, really well. In this section, you know, you need to put in a little bit of work. Um, here are some recommendations that are going to help you. And at that time, when there wasn't really anything, you know, any guide to kind of how to do digital employee experience in the wake of a pandemic well, that was just such a helpful tool for people. So whilst we did have amazing kind of paid campaigns, social campaigns, we had all the, the, the usual channels, we also just found that, you know, word of mouth sharing, like that organic sharing um, amongst the, the networks we're trying to target happened because it was just such a great tool. So as much as I would like to say, you know, there's some secret that made this campaign amazing, I think um, what it was, it was just having a really incredible piece of content that genuinely provided value to our target audience. And so they wanted to share it, like they wanted to engage with it, they wanted to talk about it. Um, and obviously that made for a great tool for our salespeople when it came to talking to some of those prospects, because they already knew, you know, what they were doing well at, what they were struggling with, et cetera. That's really great. And I think you really hit the nail on the head there when you're like, it created value. You know, <clears throat> so often we get tied, people get tied up in, um, you know, I want to get my product out there. These are the cool features. This is the whatever. And so, you know, yeah. they lose sight of those other things. Like, you know what, I'm going to give you recommendations for free because that's a value to you, you know, and it's really, exactly. it's not taking anything away from your business or your software. Um, just exactly. genuinely being helpful, I think is that thing that really catapults something into that viral, not necessarily viral, but <laughs> things very rarely go viral in a B2B world, but really that widespread yeah. sharing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think when you create something that people want, like they actually like and they actually want to share the same, yeah. as I think we do as consumers, you know, you go to a great restaurant and you want to tell everyone about it. It's the same. I think if you find something and you're like, oh, this actually, you know, provided me with a really helpful tip. You're going to tell your colleagues, you're going to tell your friends that, you know, are struggling with the same things that that you are. So, I mean, that that was that was probably the, the, the biggest kind of takeaway for me was that it's worth probably doing fewer campaigns that are really, really high quality that we really spend the time to, to you know, make sure that they're, they're, they're right and that they're worth it than doing lots of you know doing that you know quantity lots of little things that that don't make that big impact yeah yeah so what do you think as you look across your background and kind of how you've come in your career what do you think has uniquely qualified you for the role that you have now or prepared you in some way Oh, I mean, I think there are so many, I mean, I think every role that I've had, I've definitely taken something from that. You know, as I said, my first role straight out of uni, you know, as a graduate, and I learned about content marketing, like right from the outset. And that's something that I like still carry with me now. I still kind of, um, you know, advocate for content marketing now. I mean, I was really, really fortunate um, in my career that I got to work in, um, you know, other parts of the world, other regions. I did a stint in Asia. I did a stint in the Middle East. Um, that you just you just learn so much from kind of immersing yourself in another culture. I think from from learning that you can't just take a global strategy and implement it in local markets. That you know there are so many nuances there that you have to be respectful of. That you have to take the time to understand. I mean that was a big wake up call for me. Um, I took so, it took so much from that. Um, I think you know working with different types of sales directors as well has been very interesting for me. I, I think I've worked with kind of all the the whole spectrum of like really really egotistical, really egomaniacs right <laughs> to the other end of the spectrum. And you know I've learned so much about kind of um, how to make sure that the marketing priorities are aligned with the sales priorities, aligned with the with the business priorities. And you know when I um, started working at Applaud, I entered as the as the marketing director um, and. 
I was in the role for about two years before I got promoted to CMO. And I think even that was a really, really helpful training ground for me to just really get my teeth kind of stuck, stuck into like the, the industry and to understand the business really well and to prep myself. So when I actually did get that promotion, I was I was really ready. I was hungry for it. And like I knew the kind of impacts that I wanted to make. So, yeah. What an exciting journey, especially working overseas. That's super interesting. What have you found to be perhaps the most surprising of the places that you've worked? The most surprising? Um, oh, I think um, I think probably Singapore was quite surprising to me. I mean, yeah. I didn't really know what to expect, to be honest. Um, but I was, you know, I was really excited about the opportunity. I was incredibly nervous because I was moving there on my own. I was like 21 or something like that. And I, I was really, really nervous about it. But um, I found the work ethic of people in Singapore is second to none. They just work so incredibly hard and they're so helpful and so um, open and so kind of keen to, to help you on your journey. Um, and so I think I definitely learned a lot there about kind of teamwork, collaborating. Um, they definitely, the, the, one of the big differences I found in Singapore definitely versus um, in some of my other roles in, in Europe was there's no sense there of, okay, well, this is my job and this is my department and I don't do that. Very, it's very open. It's very much like if you need help and that's going to benefit us as a business or it's going to help us reach our goal then we're all here like we'll we'll all help you on on anything and and um I thought that that was really special and it's definitely a quality that I've tried to take with me and instill in my team that you know we should all be constantly looking to to collaborate and and work together constantly so when that comes to sales you mentioned a little bit before about working for all kinds of sales directors and you're talking about that collaboration which by the way 110% you know we um have a big culture um in, in our company with helping each other with things like that but when it comes to collaborating with sales kind of what would you give us maybe some pro tips for 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 facilitating that collaboration yeah, I mean, I think I was in a unique position at Applaud in that I was kind of marketing employee number one, and then our sales director was kind of sales employee number one. And so we could really work together to create the culture that we wanted to create in this business. Um, and again, I think that's quite a unique position. Normally, when you're entering, you know, a role, you're kind of that's already established, and you have to kind of do your best to maybe make it better or adapt to what's already in place. But I mean, right from the outset, I was involved in the recruiting of that role, which was really helpful. But um, I mean, also, we we just kind of said from the beginning, we don't want any toxicity. Um, we don't want any kind of blame culture. Um, definitely when it comes to B2B marketing, there seems to be this classic thing of, um, oh, you know, marketing generated that lead. Oh, no, sales generated that lead and that kind of and it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter who right. who did that, you know, as long as long as it's, it's helping to generate revenue for the business. And so we've always had a very open um, communication style, like right from right from the start. Um, we have really, really similar values. Um, there's zero politics and neither of us will, will tolerate that. And we're just very respectful of each other. Um, and we always talk to each other first. If we think, oh, like maybe that didn't go exactly how I wanted that to go, or I would have loved to have been involved in that conversation or something. That's a conversation that, that, that we that we have um, we have together and we have such a great relationship because we really respect those boundaries that we've put in place. And then and that just filters down into the rest yeah. of the team yeah. um so i would say it's the it's probably the best marketing and sales kind of um relationship that i've i've worked with across any any organization and and both now my team and and martin's team are just so respectful of each other and all driving towards the same goal i think what's great is we're so excited about what we're doing that everybody just wants to constantly be keeping that momentum up and doing what they can to to move the business forwards 
Yeah. That everybody could take notes from that. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> success story. <laughs> um, so going back to budget a little bit, um, when you're talking about um, B2B, particularly SaaS companies, um, what kind of budgeting recommendations do you have when people are looking at how much do I spend on marketing? Where do I spend my marketing dollars? You know, how do you how would you provide guidance in an, in an area like that? Yeah, so I mean, I mean, if you're lucky enough that you've got a couple of years of data, that's always obviously the best place to start, isn't it? You have a look like, you know, in the last kind of year or two years, what worked really well? Like what didn't as well? I think owning, owning, you know, I tried that. I thought it was going to be a great idea and it wasn't. It was a flop and just kind of owning <laughs> that. We're not yeah. going to spend on that again this year um but i think you know definitely starting with the data start starting there looking at looking at um where, where you've got your most cost effective customer acquisitions or wherever you manage to generate the most kind of volume of opportunities De I, I always start there and then kind of cross-referencing that with what are our what are our business goals this year you know is it growing our existing customer accounts is there a lot of kind of untapped um, potential there or is it you know are we, are we all about new logo this year do we, do we want to focus there and um brand awareness as well as is, is you know another really really big priority for a lot of businesses and just trying to ascertain you know what are the priorities here when when we're at the end of this year what does success look like for us as a business and kind of cross-referencing that against one of my been my most successful campaigns recently building your budget out that way because there is no formula I don't think for this is what a good b2b marketing budget looks like it you know it's entirely dependent on on what the business wants to do but i think as long as you're making data-driven decisions and you're having those conversations with your key stakeholders i really like to involve all of my key stakeholders in my planning processes you know we go through multiple iterations and i think that's so important when i say to them you know this is what i'm thinking of spending my money on this year so what i'm thinking the budget's going to look like these are my reasons why is my justifications about like how does that feel to you and kind of getting that feedback from them so we have that constant feedback loop so there are no surprises um through, throughout the year and we will enter the year on the same page like okay this is our plan this is what we're going to do we're all behind it sales know what it is sales are excited about it and and they know what their role is going to be in making that successful and we kind of have that that alignment and that that collaboration amongst all the all the leaders have you found when you go to look at your channel strategy for the year have you found any particular channels to be just blow it out of the water successful for you do you know what the funny thing is um i'm seeing just just as this is just kind of anecdotally what i'm seeing rather than based yeah. on kind of any like industry statistics but i'm seeing a real kind of resurgence of the of the of the maybe more traditional marketing channels making an absolute comeback like events this year have been incredible for us um you know obviously this is probably the first real year since the pandemic that people have felt confident and comfortable yeah. to come to these face face events but we've been to two this year and they just just so incredible in terms of the energy people are there to buy like they've come being right. like i want to see your solution show it to me sell it to me like i want to know if it's going to work for me and that for me was a real shift from I don't know, 2019 say when people are kind of more there like oh i'm just here to look like maybe don't approach me at events so right. real energy shift there and also um direct mail uh which that, you know, obviously in the past two years hasn't really had a place with people maybe not being in offices or kind of being at home, but people now seem to be really receptive to us sending them things, to having something physical to read and, and to touch. And I don't know if there is a correlation between the pandemic and, and that and people wanting to kind of be more, 
I don't know, have something more tangible in their hands to like touch and feel instead of this whole digital experience all the time. But that's been really surprising to me, actually, that I've seen those two channels um, making making a comeback. So um, it's exciting, though. It's it's really fun. I think for a marketer there, there's some really fun things to get to play with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have I have some personal anecdotes along those same lines, but but let me ask you this first. Any particular challenges, um, things that channels that you see maybe falling by the wayside over the next couple of years? I mean, I think something that we're really struggling with right now is probably how to make LinkedIn work for us as a channel. This um, is my exact anecdote. I was just going to say, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> It, it feels so, um, I don't know, like it goes against all of my instincts because as a B2B marketer, LinkedIn should be the absolutely perfect channel for us. And I don't know if it's just that it's so flooded with content all the time that it's become people just so bombarded with sales messages there. It seems to be nearly impossible to cut through the noise. So you know, we're really thinking about right now, how do we make LinkedIn work for us? Because um, I don't think we have a formula right now. And certainly what we were doing a year ago or, or two years ago is not working on LinkedIn. So it's kind of, you know, re-strategizing there and, and figuring out how we make that work for us. Well, what's your experience with LinkedIn? Well, what have so, you, found? you know, I look across, so I've been doing marketing for 20 years now. And as I look across that history, the industry sort of has ebbs and flows, right? You have these channels that are very, very popular for a little while, and then they become difficult. And, you know, we find something new, or as you say, sometimes we go back to old things like direct mail, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I see email, uh, I see LinkedIn going much the same way as email. You know, when, when email marketing first became a thing, it was hugely successful. You got huge open rates, you know, just a lot of traction. And then over the years, the effectiveness, I'm not saying that it's not still effective, it is, but it, the effectiveness has died off as sure. compared to when it was first a thing. And I think we're seeing the same thing with LinkedIn now. So, you know, a few yeah. years ago, it wasn't that crowded of a marketplace. You know, people weren't, hadn't really, mm, I, I would actually say that LinkedIn's advertising platform was not as robust as it is today. And so marketers weren't using it as much as perhaps they are now. Right. Um but, you know, as you say, especially particularly over, over, over the pandemic, um, people live in LinkedIn a lot of times now. And so, oh, my gosh, I, there is not a day that goes by that I don't log into my LinkedIn and have like 10 messages that are completely unsolicited and, you know, 14 yeah. connection requests from people I have never met. I have no idea who they are. And they're all trying to sell me something. And so yeah. it really, you know, devalues that experience a little bit. And so, as you say, it's become very, very difficult to cut through the noise of LinkedIn. Mm. It's just so crowded and there are so many advertisers and um, yeah. really getting people's attention has been a lot more difficult, um, which, cool. you know, there's so I'm in Houston and Houston is the epicenter of the oil and gas industry. Right. And there have been some yeah. major within the oil and gas industry, household brand names that have come out and said, oh, we're pushing all of our marketing dollars to social media. And kind of in the back right. of my head, I'm going, really? you know and six months following that announcement they didn't have that many ads running you know they didn't have that many so you know maybe that was one of those ideas that didn't work out as well as they thought it was going to I don't know uh, yeah. <laughs> I 
mean, it's so, it's so interesting, isn't it? You're so right. It definitely has gone, has gone the, the, the same way as email. And I think we'll probably as marketers have to go through a bit like another kind of transition period where we're like, how do we make this channel work? With email, we have to work so much harder, which I think is a yeah. good thing. Like every yeah. email has to be really well crafted. We have to really think, you know, what are we putting in this? Um, I think it might end up this the same way with LinkedIn because right now, as, as you said, there's it doesn't really seem to be any thought that goes into some of these messages that I get. It's just straight off the bat, like, do you want to buy my thing? And I don't even know what it is or why I would buy it or anything. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, I really think there's such a growth of um, communities in just mm. our messaging system. So like you take all these Slack channels, right? Or workspaces that you can join and be a part of that are that are really, you know, collective groups um, and participating in those discussions. Now, in terms of a time standpoint as marketers, we don't have a lot of time for that. But mm. if you have somebody on staff who can participate in those conversations and provide value to people, like actual value, as you say, you know, in, in your campaign with your audit, providing value to people in a conversation and then when they need something they think of you you know they'll, they'll remember you I think I think that's that's the thing it's kind of that leading with your leading with value um rather than just kind of putting out a big flashy neon sign to attract attention because it's, it's a very different it's a very different skill set very different strategy so it is, it is. and it's more <laughs> about building relationships than you know lots of brand name as you say putting out the flashing sign <laughs> yeah 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 exactly exactly so um what are some of the what are some of the things that, that you've been asking other interviews that you really enjoy enjoy answering or feel are, are <laughs> of value to people one thing that I that I, I mean, I, I enjoy answering, but I also love to hear from from the other person. Someone said to me recently, like, what are the, what are like the best marketing like books that you've read or like podcasts you've listened to or, or whatever? And yeah, um, and I did. I mean, like wh whenever I am asked that question, my my mind always goes to always goes to Story Brand, and I took a minute to reflect on that recently to think like is it still is that still one of my top reads is that still one of my number one recommendations I really think it is one of the ones that stood the test of time so I would always say, I mean I don't know if you have any like books that you keep revisiting keep reopening like over the years that you just think could just stand the test of time yeah so that's actually always a question that I ask kind of towards the end um but I am right. a voracious reader I read all the time and I keep a list of books for our staff and it, like right. I don't want to make anybody read if they don't want to read. It's yeah. not part of their job. But, you know, there are people who enjoy that who are on our team. And yeah. so when they're looking for a book, these are Laura's recommendations for good reads. Right. And that yeah. that list probably is about 20 books deep at this point. But you know yeah. what? Here's something that's super interesting is that mm -hmm. they're not all marketing books. Some of yeah, them are. But I really am a big believer in just, you know, when you read other people's commentary on things, fiction, nonfiction, whatever, um, yeah. it gets our creative juices flowing, you know, and, and your brain is working on other problems in the back of your head while you're reading other material. And so you can be reading something and it create an idea, you know, that's a problem that you've been working on for three days that is not really related to the book you're reading at all, but just that process of exercising that other part of your brain, um, yeah. you know, kind of helps you in that problem solving, uh, problem solving vein. Uh, one that's super interesting that is on my list is, um, 
AI superpowers, and it's about the world of AI and how it's changing across um, China and the U.S. and uh, the, the big players there. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. I will I will post in the comments the the author and the and the title because I forget at this point. Um, another one is Brand Bewitchery. That's another really good one that I love. Um, yeah. And I think most recently, if you ask me, you know, what is open on my my Kindle reader at this point, um, yeah. I'm going to be super honest. It is the complete Hercule Poirot anthology from Agatha Christie. Oh, <laughs> so. <wow. laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I just, you know, I do believe in reading marketing books. I do believe in reading leadership books, but I also believe in reading everything, you know, just every, a big diversity in the type of things that you read. No, I completely agree. I think I think you're so right. I mean, yeah, I, I obviously take a lot from from marketing books and people that take the time to kind of map out the the whole kind of timeline, I suppose, of, of marketing and all the different strategies related to it. But I am loving right now the Diary of a CEO podcast, which obviously has a lot of marketing components to it. You know, you have all these great CEOs telling their stories and more often than not, you know, marketing is a big part of that. But it's so interesting, you know, hearing about that their journeys and as you said you kind of hear them talking through problems and you're like oh yes actually that really relate that I can really use that for something that I'm working on right now you just kind of get newly motivated often when you just think you know I've been in a bit of a slump and actually this is kind of the kick that I needed to to re-energize myself and come back yeah. with a vengeance so yeah you're so right like diversity and and um having a whole kind of mix of of reading material like I said listening material or whatever is so, so important yeah, absolutely. So that's about all I have for today. But thank you so much for joining us. And um, for those listening, um, you can go on the website and find a little bit about Applaud software. And I encourage you to go visit their website. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and drop us a review on iTunes. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you. Tag me on Twitter at CMOGTE podcast and let me know what you think about the show and if there's any topic you'd like to hear about in the future. And until next time, this is Laura Cuddle, your host from the CMO's Guide to Everything.